Hi there, we're listening to the end of Political Beatdown. Political Beatdown. All built. Subscribe to this YouTube channel. Share this YouTube channel. Share the show. All licenses. Political Beatdown. Come in with your hands up, motherfucking traitor. Jump. Time is up. That was a warning shot. Traitor and thief. Going down, motherfucker. Come out with your hands up. Go directly to jail. Do not pass go, bitch. Suspended, but then again, Jim Jordan is not a licensed lawyer as well. As Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis said, if Jim Jordan wants to learn about how to practice law or learn about RICO, he could pay the non-bar member fee of $249. And she recommends a book for him. Let me show you right now uh, MAGA Republican Matt Gates what he said on the House floor after Kevin McCarthy announced the impeachment inquiry. Play the I'm, I'm um, Instagramming, posting on Instagram. Two. Then my son, Michael Cohen. Cohen. Uh, Michael Cohen. Did you know King? It means King. <clears throat> and Ben Marcellus. Marcellus. I just got bit. Marcellus. And at Simon Mycelas B of Midas Touch. Thank you for your service. Tag people, invite collaborators, uh, Michael Cohen, Cohen, this is my man Cooper, I wonder if they have a, baby don't laugh at me, if I tell you my story don't grab at me, yeah, I take my time, that's fine by me. Let's see, Popak and KFA Legal.
wonder if, is that what she is on the kind of, I don't know, she, I guess she's not an Instagram. The KFA, K Farm, no. <clears throat> My Distouch, My Distorty, uh, who else, Brett's. We got Brett here, Midas GW, Glenn Kirshner, Kirshner, how about some Harry Littman, Justice Matters, I love, uh, these people are good people, they're fucking angels. This is my miracle, baby don't love me, if I tell you my story don't grab me, yeah. Okay, and MSNBC. Ari Melber. About Mehdi Hassan, the beat with Ari. That sounds cool. I think he's kind of cute. Actually, got a little bit of a crush on him, but uh, that's, I think he's single too, actually. Um, and he thanked me, thanked me, thank you for thanking me, Ari Melbourne. And Mehdi Hassan, man, one of the best journalists on the planet. Holy fuck, thank you, Mehdi Hassan. George Stephanopoulos is pretty great, too. Rachel Maddow. Some of these are the best, these are my favorites, favorites. Um, that out show, and what else? Uh, politics girl. Politics girl! We like politics, politics, politics girl! How about we won't get fooled again? Give them hell. Something about give them hell. Uh, the party started pink. Coming out, so you better get this party started. I'm coming. Party. Get the party started.
Quality, most touch, <coughs> minus network. Gender. So I'm sending it to reporters reporting Michael Cohen, Washington Post, Space Nation, Arizona PBS, problem with John Stewart. White House, Marlin Camp, Human Rights Watch, Reuters, VP, Politico, Postal Vice TV, Bob Woodward, Lincoln Project, Jeff Bezos, Now This Politics, SpaceX, Midas Touch, USA Today Opinion, Young Democrats Club, Young Democrats of America, Morning Brew, Mady Hassan, Humane Society, BuzzFeed, Hypebeast, Michael Popak, AJ Central, Elon Musk, SpaceX, SPCA, Opinion Videos, Hunter Biden, Navajo Nation Fair, Discovery Channel, Oh no, not the KPYT. Native Americans are understandably um, very wary and avoid, avoid political discussion. Save the animals. Go fund. That was pretty good. Ayo. Go fund. Dot me. Okay. Get this punished on it. favorite herbs with basil and cilantro mm. <clears throat> okay so it's uh, 10543 10543
Little A02. Thank you for your service to America. If you didn't know it already, when I'm president, you will be the first recipient of the first Camelot Prize. Congratulations. Now come out here to Arizona. Let's discuss. You guys are going to be my lawyers, and we're going to sue the shit out of abusive popos. And put that money towards our political campaigns. Doesn't that sound great? comments yet. small loan. Okay, so this is a Save My Animals. Please find it in your heart to donate to my GoFundMe. Save all my animals, which were taken away from me on trumped-up charges. Literally, I think Trump asked somebody to take away my main source of joy in life. I'm asking celebs for help since everybody's broken America. John Mellencamp, Matt Damon, Jody Foster, Doris Day Animal Foundation, Paul McCartney, Jennifer Aniston, Chrissy Hines, Johnny Depp, and other celebs to give me a small loan. Like Trump, actually he was a multimillionaire at two, three years old. Inherited a billion from his father and still went bankrupt six times. I need a small loan of 53k to post bond on my pets and get them out of prison here in Tucson, Arizona. If I can't post 53k bond, they will not return them to me even if all charges are dropped. They put down even though they had no fucking right to arrest charge and take away our pets in the first place aclu i'm asking ben marcellus and michael cohen to be my lawyers want to put 50 mil towards your campaigns michael cohen help sir i i deserve the best lawyers in america and my animals need you to save them from the system which is utterly corrupt they were so happy i just gave them breakfast and they were playing in the courtyard when 50 50 sheriffs Sending on my property, immediately threw me in cuffs, took me to jail before even searching property. My partner was arrested for telling the detective he had no case against me. It was obviously a false report, which should have been fact-checked. Hello? They don't want to see any receipts. Talk to my vet. And refused to listen to our side of the story. They were chomping at the bit, zealous to arrest me, us, and take away our animals. Shut me down, shut me up. No doubt to bankrupt me, take my property. Drive me out of the country. My bad friend is considering giving up and moving abroad. I don't recognize my country anymore, he said. Vote vet. This is flat-out persecution of peaceful, law-abiding citizens, and I am squeaky clean, so I know that if this is happening to me, it most definitely has already happened to you. <clears throat> A-Z-A-G, Arizona Attorney General, Chris Mays.
tagging um, Ari Melber again. Rachel Maddow. Show. that rumbling noise. Anyway. Mr. Speaker, dust off our written January agreement. You have a copy. Reflect on the spirit of that agreement and build on the start that we had moments ago. Begin to comply. No continuing resolutions, individual spending bills or busts, votes on balanced budgets and term limits, subpoenas for Hunter Biden and the members of the Biden family who've been grifting off of this country and the impeachment for Joe Biden that he so richly deserves. Do these things or face a motion to vacate the chair. Here's a MAGA Republican Chip Roy in a press conference outside of Capitol Hill. Play this clip. Enough! Why would we fund that? That's my question for the Republican leadership. Why will you fund that? Let me be very clear. I will not continue to fund a government at war with the American people. We are here to change it. It is time to end it. And I'm proud to stand with these patriots to do that. And here is, as part of that press conference where you just saw MAGA Republican Chip Roy, randomly here is Tom Fitton, who is the head of an organization called Judicial Watch, in keeping with him. the theme of non-licensed lawyers or non-lawyers. <laughs> the main kind of right-wing judicial group is led by this individual, Tom Fitton, who's an idiot, number one. He wears super tight shirts as his only qualification <laughs> for who knows what. And he's not a licensed lawyer. And he's the one who Donald Trump relies on as well to basically justify any of Donald Trump's positions. Here's Tom Fitton randomly at this press conference as well. Play the clip. I don't know what we're talking about with a clean CR. I see a dirty CR, a CR that will fund the worst of dirty politics and corruption in our federal government. And there's a positive moral obligation right now, not next year, but right now, to stop the abuses, the effort to jail Trump on pretextual, unprecedented charges in a way never seen before in American history. An obligation to stop right now the Biden administration censorship of tens of millions of Americans. The obligation to stop right now the illicit use of tax monies to fund abortions in our military and elsewhere. 
the uh, right, we need to stop right now the attack on children through the promotion of transgender extremism. We need to stop right now the lack of serious investigation into the Biden administration corruption, specifically Biden corruption. We need a Justice Department or a special counsel that has confidence of the American people. I just want to compare that to Democratic Senator John Fetterman. This was his response when he was asked about the impeachment inquiry by Kevin McCarthy. Play this clip. Ask me about this news that uh, Speaker McCarthy has formally launched impeachment in her. Has said he's going to. Oh my God! Really? Oh my gosh! You know? Oh, it's devastating. <laughs> Ooh, don't do it! Please don't do it! Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Are you still interested in a solar-powered generator? It does come with one of the... What if they allow clips to be made? No, I've watched that yeah. video. Be Please don't... ...to the Biden administration corruption specific... ...his response when he was asked about... The I just want to... I just want to compare that to Democratic Senator John Fetterman. This was his response when he was asked about the impeachment inquiry by Kevin McCarthy. Play this clip. Well, asking about this news that uh, Speaker McCarthy has formally launched an impeachment inquiry. Has said he's going to. Oh my God! Really? Oh my gosh! You know? Oh, it's devastating. <laughs> Watch that video a few times, Colin. What makes it funnier to me? It makes me laugh. What makes it funnier to me is not just Vetterman, but his aide is also uh, like so serious. Like the whole dynamic there cracks me up. Now, could you imagine Ben? They're gonna get say Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani up there, you know, in order to impeach uh, Joe Biden. And all of a sudden, he's gonna come in. He's gonna be shit face sauced, right? And they're gonna be like, uh. I just want to compare that to Democratic Senator John Fetterman. This was his response when he was asked about the impeachment. So I've watched that video a few times, Colin. What makes it funnier to me? It makes me laugh. What makes it funnier to me is not just Fetterman, but his aide. Senator John Fetterman's hilarious response. To Biden impeachment inquiry. Oh, shit. School is on. Oops. Spells his name wrong. Oh well. His aide okay. is also like so serious. Democratic superstar ends GOP's future with fatal blow. As a Florida representative, what do you say to people who really connect with that Bugs Bunny meme of just like sawing Florida off from the rest of the country and letting it float <laughs> away? <laughs> <laughs> Politics Girl. Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. 
I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. We know that the majority of the youth in America are not on board for this new extremist Republican agenda. They believe in reproductive rights and that the climate is in crisis. They're against book banning and propaganda education. They're majority pro-LGBTQ, pro-union, pro-healthcare, pro-living and pro-common-sense gun legislation. And the Republican Party offers them none of that. Gen Z might technically still be getting their feet wet in politics, with the oldest member of that generation turning 26 this year, but they know who they are and what they want, and they turned out in historic numbers for the midterm last year. But they're also looking around at everything from our legislation to our politicians, and they don't see themselves properly reflected. And that hurts with turnout and engagement, which is why our guest today is so important. Maxwell Alejandro Frost is the first member of Gen Z to be elected to Congress. And not only is he a congressman, he's a Florida congressman. So as he looks to and represents the future of our government and our country, he comes from a state that is currently working overtime to take us back to the past. Congressman Frost is the child of a Cuban-American who came to the U.S. during the freedom fights of the late 1960s to go on to become a special needs teacher and a full-time musician. A musician himself, Maxwell became a community activist and organizer after surviving a shooting in downtown Orlando. The experience solidified his commitment for common-sense solutions to gun violence and led him to a leadership role at the ACLU and then as the National Organizing Director for March for Our Lives. In Congress, Frost has been appointed to the Committee on Oversight and Accountability and the Committee on Science, Space, and Technology. We clearly need way more young people like him in government, not only because they understand the real life of the constituents they serve, but they understand the future we're going into better than many of the people who are already there. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, community organizer and musician, and now sitting congressman for Florida's 10th district, Maxwell Frost. Welcome, Maxwell. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me. I was saying in the introduction that Gen Z might technically be still new to politics, but they know exactly (laughs) who they are and what they care about, right? Would you like to explain to older people the priorities of your generation? If you were going to talk to them about it, what would you tell them? Yeah, well, you know, I I always like to give the little caveat. I don't, you know, I don't represent the whole generation and obviously like any other generation. You don't? You're not the sole speaker (laughs) for an entire generation? Exactly. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised (laughs) on people who think that. Um, So I always like to give the little disclaimer. But, I mean, I will say what the numbers show us is that this is the most progressive generation in the history of our country. What does that mean? Well, this is a generation that, I think quickly has developed a political identity, maybe a little faster than other generations because of things like the internet and social media being a fact of life. I mean, literally what separates Gen Z from other generations and and the biggest kind of characteristic, they say, is the fact that we've been involved um, and enthralled in uh, uh, our phones since birth, really, is, is the distinguishing factor there. And I think it comes with, you know, benefits and it comes with some cons, too. And I think some of the benefits is that we have a generation that's very aware of a lot of the hardship going around across the country and around the world. And so because we've been exposed to that so early, I mean, I'll go, I do a lot of uh, roundtables at, like, elementary schools and middle schools and high schools, and there will be 10-year-olds who come up to me. I actually, let me tell you, I was just... It was about two months ago. I was on the Capitol steps saying hi to an elementary school from my district that was visiting D.C. And one of the questions I usually like to ask during these things is, you know, if you got to pass a bill 
what bill would you do? And, you know, usually you get like, you know, no homework or stuff like that, right? Is what a lot of older members told me what you would get. I haven't really gotten any of that. I will have 10, 9, 8-year-olds open their mouth and say, ban assault weapons because I don't want to be shot in school. You know, I'll have young people say, something with climate change because the storms are getting worse. You know, it, it inspires me and also depresses me at the same time, right? Because our, our, <laughs> yeah, me too. our kids at 10 and 12 years old should be saying no homework law, right? And not having to worry about being gunned down in their own school. But the fact of the matter is the leading cause of death for them is to be shot. And so they're thinking about, you know, what's going on in our country. And so it's hard, but I think all of that together creates a generation that, you know, sees these solutions, wants to quickly move towards the solutions so we can have a better life for ourselves and for our children and for, you know, for the rest of this country. Yeah, and as you said, it's not even just a generational thing. You know, you're Gen Z, I'm Gen X, right? But my priorities are exactly the same as yours because I'm raising a Gen Z and I don't want him to live in this world either. Like, reproductive yeah. rights, climate, the state of the earth, not wanting to die from yeah. senseless violence, right? Like, I feel like that is not just a your generation thing. It's an anyone who is aware thing, but your generation has been aware of it for so long, almost like you said, your whole life. There's no time in Gen Z's life that there weren't smartphones and these kind of things. You get most of your news from a handheld device or from the internet, right? So it's clearly a different world. And I think you guys have embraced it a lot quicker than say we did. But also I think this, you guys are very much into being who you want to be and loving who you want to love. I think your generation is also very smartly rebelling against this idea of just being cogs in a capitalistic machine, like your parents' generation, right? You want to be able to afford housing, like your grandparents were able to afford, which is probably why nine out of 10 of young people around the country are pro-union, pro-universal healthcare, pro-living wage, right? The world, but particularly this country, is clearly broken. And I think you guys are the first generation to just come out and say, we see that. Like, something's got to give. And you guys don't seem super cool with keeping the status quo anymore. Exactly. And and I'll say, you know, something that, you know, because I'm also a student of movement history. And, you know, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the amazing movements, organizers, advocates that came before us. But there, another distinguishing factor of Gen Z, too, is usually when other generations at our at our age, right, as young people, um, got involved in politics and did a huge political movement, most of the time that that generation as a in their youth was defined by a very specific issue, right? The war in Vietnam. We can even, you know, go back not so far back. We have things like uh, wealth inequality, Occupy Wall Street. Right to an abortion, birth control, civil rights. Exactly. And the interesting thing about Gen Z is that just in a short amount of years, right, in a few years, the generation has really latched onto many issues that kind of span the spectrum. And I think part of it is that because we're so, you know, we're so connected online, we also see the connection of all the issues. I really think the age of the single issue voter is quickly dying, right? And part of the reason is because young people aren't going into the booth thinking about one issue. They're thinking about all the issues, right? And and they want a candidate who really has a message that calls to all the issues. And that's something I try to do. When I'm speaking with constituents, I always talk about the fact that because the oppression is connected, the organizing must also be. Because every issue uh, works with each other to create the conditions we're in, when we talk about the solutions, the solutions have to also be holistic. There's not one bill 
that'll solve everything. And so, and it's important to say that and recognize that because I think, you know, when we lie to ourselves about the state of play, we set ourselves up for failure. It's part of the reason why, you know, and this is no flack to anyone who, who said this or anything, I get it, but like, you know, even after Donald Trump was elected, the not my president thing, which I get, um, I didn't take part in it because he was, he, he was our president. And, and I think it was important to say that. You'll, you'll notice, too, I say a lot of things about Governor DeSantis, right? I always say Governor DeSantis, and I make sure to do it because he is my governor of this state. And we lost, and he won. And I say it, even though it hurts me to say it, because I cannot lie to myself about the state of play. If we don't know what the battlefield is and who the players are, how can we expect to organize to defeat it? I'm not going to lie to myself and say things are better than they are worse than they are. I want to know exactly what the reality is. And I think that's another exciting thing about this younger generation is we, you know, we want to, we're straight shooters, right? We just want to know how it is and how we can be a part of the fight to make it better. Oh, I always say with the not my president thing, I'd say he's my president, but these aren't my values, you know? And yeah. I mean, your your own campaign ad recently says if we want bold change on guns, on reproductive health, on affordable housing, we can't keep electing the same politicians. And that's the thing. We have to play within the system we've been given. And if we want to live in yeah. a rule of law and we want to live in a country that has a democracy, then we have to play within the democracy. And as you said, Ron DeSantis is currently your governor. That doesn't mean that we can't play within our democracy to remove him from that job. And I think exactly. someone like exactly. you is the perfect example of that, right? Like you started your work with groups focused on common sense gun legislation because that was something you were yep. passionate about. And now you're a lawmaker who can work on common yep. sense gun legislation. You were recently on The Last Word on MSNBC and you said, we need newly elected officials who actually give a damn about our lives. And that's the kind of sentiment I feel like we need right now. Someone who believes change can happen. And you've been out here saying, if we put in the work, you're confident that we can turn around, say, this country's horrifying gun violence in your lifetime. And I love that because I believe that, too. And that's clearly the kind of things people want to hear. They want to know our politicians believe change can actually happen. Exactly. And I know when we talk to young people, when I talk to young people, they really seem to get it. And they believe that, too. But, like... How do you think we translate that to the polls? You know, how do we educate the youth of America? Because they clearly a huge amount of power there without boring them. How do we tell them about the issues without having them zone out? How do we make sure they're not tricked by third party spoilers like RFK or no labels who can make them a million promises? But if you don't understand the system, you don't understand that they won't or can't follow through on those. What do you think we should do about that? It's interesting because it's really uh, it's it's an act it's a balancing act, right? Um, I I'm one that believes, and I'm I'm going to try not to go down this rabbit hole. I go down it a lot, but growing up in the movement space and as a progressive, right? Even in in my own movement, I was sold this fake binary choice that existed, right? You're either an incrementalist, centrist, moderate. That's like one side of it. Looking at it in a derogatory way, and then the other side of it is you're either a progressive. Who wants the world and it's never going to happen, right? Like those are the two sides it feels like it gets painted for us. And then you look at the movement history and you realize it's such a load of BS to, 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 to put it as two things working against each other. In fact, incrementalism and in, in in taking steps towards a greater goal is the only way that big change has ever been done in this country. 
Now, I, there might be some progressives listening to me, Max, what are you talking about? You know, like, we're fighting for big, big things. And I always say, yes, we are. And the difference here is it's a problem when people want to talk about incrementalism and taking steps at the expense of talking about a bold vision for the country, right? And, and the way I like to explain it is you wouldn't start walking on a journey without understanding what the destination is. You'll have nowhere to go. You'll be kind of, you know, getting lost. And I feel like for a lot of politicians in this country, because folks are scared or don't think we're ready for the big, bold, transformational change that we need, they don't even want to talk about it. And that's a, and that brings us back to young voters. Young voters want to talk about it. And I don't think we cut young voters enough credit. You know, we, we like to say, well, you know, it's not going to happen next year, so we shouldn't say it. Well, then just say that. Right. I, I'm very transparent when I talk about my plan. I believe in Medicare for all. I believe everybody in this country should have health care by virtue of being alive. I think you deserve to be healthy. That is what I believe. The next sentence will be that we won't pass in this Congress with Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker of the House. But guess what? We have over 100 co-sponsors in the House of Representatives to say a Medicare for all program is what we need. That gives me so much hope. And so we're getting there. We need to elect better people. We need to keep the pressure on, and we will have Medicare for all. But here's the thing. We won't wake up tomorrow having the people in place to make it happen. But, hey, maybe we can wake up in four years, five years, and have the people in place to make it happen. But the way that we create the environment where we wake up and we say today's the day is by those steps. And so it, it's a little bit – I take a little bit from both, right? It's like I'm not going to give up on talking and fighting for the full change we need. I'm also going to talk about the steps we need to get there. I don't see these things as adversarial towards each other. I see them as the same thing. And that's how all progressive movements have worked in this country. You, you work to get the people and resources in place. And one day you wake up and it seems like it happened quickly, but really it didn't. And I think when you explain that to young voters, yeah. They get it, right? They get it. But you yeah. have to be honest with them because ultimately you're saying it's about electing better people, but you can't elect better people overnight. But I think it also comes back to making a better argument. You know, like people always say, oh, well, what about business? And you're like, there's a huge argument for Medicare for all, for example, in business environments, right? Like if I was a small business owner and I didn't have to pay for the health care of my workers because it came through the government, guess what? My profits are better. I, that's something I don't have to worry about. People would not be trapped exactly. in bad jobs, bad marriages, that kind of thing, because that's where their health care comes from. It's a freedom, yeah, it's freedom. argument. It's yeah. a business argument. And we haven't made the argument to make the change, but we can because in the past, when we talk about Medicare for all, people are like, oh, we're just giving away free stuff. As someone who grew up in Canada, no, you're not. You're taking care of your population, and a healthy population is better for the whole country's bottom line. Exactly. We just need to make better arguments, and we need politicians elected yes. who are willing to make that, that argument. Now, let's talk about your actual job. You're a member of Congress, but you're, from the perspective of the youngest one there, what are you noticing? You know, as a fresh pair of eyes on yeah. a rather stagnant old system, let's be honest, what needs to be updated or changed if we want to make those changes, if we want to elect better people, if yeah. we want to get the big things done? I mean, I think the changes are we need to elect a Democratic majority. But, you know, the, this, you know what I've This I've is an really important been, part. Yeah, that's an important one. Term but limits. I've really been surprised by, you know, the, the question I get asked is like, what surprised you about going to Congress? The political environment didn't surprise me. We, we, I mean, we all know about it. <laughs> we all know how bad the political environment is. So that wasn't surprising to me. 
What was surprising is the operation of Congress and the way that it works despite who's in power. And, and it's not a place that rewards like bipartisanship. It's not a place that rewards like anything like that. Uh, and I'll give an example. You, so you get elected to Congress, right? That Tuesday night, you're winning, you're getting lit with your volunteers and your friends, you're taking some shots, you're you know, getting calls from members of Congress from across the country. And then the next morning you wake up and you get a letter. Shots. And it's from the U.S. House of Representatives. And to paraphrase it, it says, your ass has to be here on Sunday for orientation. So then you go to D.C. for orientation, and you get there, you're excited, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you come in the first morning, 8 a.m., whatever. And the way it works is you have two weeks of orientation. It's kind of like school. You have a week, you have Thanksgiving break, and then you have the other week. The first part of the day is like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. to noon. That is the only part of your day-to-day where you're going to be in a bipartisan setting. And guess what? It's not a collaborative segment. That 8 to 12 p.m. segment is actually the class segment where you're listening. You're getting, like, lectures and you're learning. Um, So you're not really talking with one another. After that, you have a lot of social and political events for the rest of that orientation where you're all separated by the party you're in. And the interesting thing is I feel like the best time to make good relationships with people who you disagree with on a lot of issues is an orientation because we haven't started coming at each other really yet, right? And we're all just learning how to do this thing. And I feel like it's a big missed opportunity. You really have to go out of your way to create those relationships. The other thing is just, you know, Congress, a lot of the way it's set up is for political a political show. I'll give you another example. I was just on a congressional delegation trip in South America. And in Brazil, we went to their House of Representatives, like their capital. And we did a meeting in one of their committee rooms. You go into the room, it's a bunch of desks. Every desk, like every seat has a mic in the room. And it looks like a good, like, uh, layout for collaboration. Then you walk into a committee room in the United States House of Representatives. And if if, if people listening haven't seen it, I'll kind of bring the picture for you. But Google, committee room. Um, Google the oversight committee room where I sit, right? And the way it works is you have these uh, a dais, right, where members of Congress sit, and you're kind of elevated. And then you have the witness table, and then you have a sea of seats and cameras, and you even have lights pointing at us. And you know what it looks like? It looks like a production. It looks like a show. Why? Because it is a show. The point of congressional hearings are to help inform us on the legislation we write. It's supposed to be a very collaborative process. And it's really turned into a political show. We don't face, like, members of Congress are not facing each other, right? I think this is something the Senate, a lot of the Senate rooms are better because in the Senate, the rooms are a lot smaller and you kind of sit in a horseshoe shape. You face each other, you can talk. Not in, not in the House of Representatives. So there's, like, little things like that that I've noticed where it's like, wow, this is really rewarding showmanship and not rewarding collaboration. And I think that's something that could help fix a lot of the problems going on, at least when you think about people like, Marjorie Taylor Greene, where I'm sitting in an oversight hearing, and I look over to my left, and she's speaking, and she has a big blow-up picture of Hunter Biden naked. You know, it's just, like, crazy. So, either way, the operation rewards the craziness, believe it or not. Yeah, I do believe it. But I also think it's really good that the administration right now, and what you guys are doing, the fact that you are in South America to do that, seems to me like you're looking outside the box, which is what... 
we talk about on this show all the time, this idea that like America is not all perfect and all good and we can't learn anything from any other countries. We are not the only democracy in the world. In fact, we're not even in the top 10 of real democracies, right? On the democracy index. And yeah. you're down there saying, hey, this is actually a better way to set up the room for collaboration. You know, there used to be way more collaboration pre Newt Gingrich in the house. Like there was way more collaboration. And then he came in and said, this is your enemy. This is your enemy. Don't talk to them. If you talk to people who were yeah. aides before those days, they say, oh, we used to get in a room with Republican, you know, and Democrats and we'd have pizza and we'd all discuss an issue. They don't do that anymore because it's become a show in which I show you how much I am fighting the other person. And that doesn't serve the American people yeah. on any level. And I think it's exactly. essential that we put more people like you with an open mind and are looking at it with different eyes in there to say, we could probably do this better. We could probably do this more efficiently and we could serve the American yeah. people better. Now let's talk about your home state since it's at the top of the list for shoving the entire country into a time machine back to the 1950s. If not, if Ron had his way in the 1850s. Yep. But as a Florida representative, what do you say to people who really connect with that Bugs Bunny meme of just like sawing Florida off from the rest of the country and letting it float away. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. Today's pod is brought to you by Rocket Money. Rocket's spending about eight... Not too long. This entire century, thus far, the past 23 years... Yeah, yeah. Well, I always like I always tell people number one, you know, not too long. This entire century, thus far, the past twenty-three years, with the exception of twenty eighteen, Florida statewide races were won by less than a point, maybe a point. And what that means is we are a state that has a lot of Democrats and progressives in it who really care about the issues we all care about in this state. And it's always been at the margins. And the mistake that was made is somewhere in 2018 when Andrew Gillum lost by, uh, I think, 30,000 votes, which is nothing in a state like Florida. Somewhere in that whole thing, there were the powers that be said, well, I guess we shouldn't invest in Florida anymore. I come from the opposite opinion. I think when you get so close, you got to rev it up. But people, you know, hit the brakes. And guess what? The Republican Party flew right past us because they hit the gas and Ron DeSantis won by 18, 19 points. It doesn't mean that we need to give up on Florida, that we need to cut Florida off. It means we need to continue to invest in this state. This is something my friend Greg Kassan says, and Greg's a freshman congressman from Austin, Texas. He says, Texas is not a red state, it's an under-organized state. And I would say the same thing about Florida. And look, I'm not going to BS anybody. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be, I mean, I hope it's in one cycle, but it might not be in one cycle. It might be multiple. But that's the problem with Democrats is for us, our strategy is really connected to these two-year goals. And, some, you know, we should take a page at Republicans on this because they do have short-term goals, 
but they have very long-term goals, like 20-, 30-year goals um, on taking the Supreme Court and waking up one morning and seeing that abortion, Roe versus Wade, has been struck down. Waking up one morning and seeing that the Republicans control most of the state legislatures across this country through meticulous gerrymandering. Like, all these horrible things that are happening, it's not a surprise to me, and it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. They've been working at it for a long time. They waited, and now they're seeing the fruits of it. Now, the good news for us is that the electorate is not on their side. And Florida is really a great case study in the difference between politics and policy. What does that mean? It's simple. We are a state that in the past six years, 60% of Florida voters went to the ballot box and said, yes, $15 minimum wage. Yes, medical marijuana. Yes, uh, voting rights to people with previous felonies. In fact, right now, we are collecting petitions for Floridians Protecting Freedom, which is the ballot initiative to codify abortion rights in the state of Florida, which, by the way, is the single greatest opportunity to uh, advance abortion access that we have next year in the entire country because we're the third largest state in the union. But we are, we are on, well on our way to collecting the petitions needed. And guess what? Polling shows upwards of 70% of Floridians say hell yes to voting yes on that. Same thing with adult use marijuana, which is probably going to be on the ballot too. Most Floridians say we'd vote yes on that too. So it like, brings the question, if 70% of Floridians are saying yes to these old progressive measures, why do they vote for Ron DeSantis? And the answer is very simple. It's that difference Jerry between Mander. policy and politics, and we see it across the country. Republican Party does a great job when they're able to make a disconnect between the values that the people hold and what they actually want, health care, fighting the climate crisis, good jobs, etc., their rights, and politicians who can really go for the emotions and you know get away from the policy. And that's part of the reason why when you see Ron DeSantis speaking at a press conference in Florida, and it's on the news and everything, he's not talking about, I'm going to ban abortion for all of you, right? right? Like, he signed that bill at like 3 a.m. in the middle of the dark with no pomp and circumstance. He is talking about culture wars, woke, CRT, mass mandates, things that are all about politics and not about policy. And he does well when, those, when that's, you know, the waters and the lines are blurred. And so um, we have to do a better job at connecting those two things. So don't give up on Florida. We have a lot of work to do, but this is a progressive state. Just look at the ballot initiatives. And I'm, I'm not trying to sell you on a story that is 20 years old. I'm telling you about stuff that just happened a few years ago. I always say that Florida isn't red, it's blue suppressed. I mean, what you did was you had one election where Ron got elected by, like you said, 30,000 votes. And then he literally changed the way the state elects people he disenfranchised yeah. people he changed he gerrymandered the state he changed who could vote he you know took away people's rights to vote it is unbelievable yeah. and then like you said he sits on the culture war issues that keep people divided right like florida is yep. up there being just as extreme as it can be with the don't say gay laws and the anti-trans legislation and the book bans yep. and the turning people away from hospitals for their sexual orientation it it's changes in education, right? Most recently, slavery yep. was kind of not so bad because people learn skills BS, right? There are literal Nazis walking in your streets right now, organizing, marching, protesting. But then the governor himself, when he actually does things, he's refusing to meet with the president for federal aid for hurricane relief, which the people yep. need. He's vetoing federal aid for energy savings for Florida residents, right? People can't yep. get home insurance. People can't get a well-rounded education. 
you can pull yep. people over and ask them for their papers. I mean, people from certain states can't drive on your roads anymore. That's bananas, right? So I think you have to counter that kind of behavior. And how do you think we should do that? Like, as a Florida representative, where what's your take on where woke goes to die, right? Or even the whole concept of woke in general, because what's the pushback? What do you think our pushback should be on that? Because they use it for everything now. We're not going to fill these military positions in the military because the military has gone too woke, right? This isn't just a Florida problem. Do you have a pushback on woke that you think people should be putting out there? In life, there's nothing more important than taking care of your loved ones. At Healthy Home Flooring, we value your family's well-being and our great floors be... a problem. Do you have a pushback on woke that you think people should be putting out there? So, yeah, I mean, it, mine's pretty simple. Tonight, exclamation point. This guy Young Dems. So, yeah, I mean, it, mine's pretty simple. Um, I just don't talk about it. Um, I dismiss <laughs> it. I, you know, if, if a reporter comes up to me and asks me what I think about woke, I will say I woke up this morning. I have no idea what they're talking about. And you know what? Most of this country is on board with that. Most people in this country, if you look at the polling, they either don't know what woke means or they're tired of hearing about it. So because most people live in that camp, I think it's politically smart for me to also live in that camp. <laughs> Who knows what it means? Who cares? Um, healthcare, please, right? And and I think like that is the way to go. And you know, I found that sitting on oversight that ridicule and humor a lot of times is the best antidote for a lot of these wild fantasies and bogus claims that the right wing makes. Even the Republican Party itself in polling is showing that they're getting tired of the whole woke conversation. So I don't want to give it. I don't I try not to give it any light. You know, I really go right, blow right past it and say, I don't, I'm not really sure what he means by that. But, you know, what I do know is that we have a homeowner's insurance problem in this, in this state. Um, and I would rather the governor focus on that than talking about 
woke, whatever that is. And we've received a lot of, you know, good feedback on that messaging here in Florida because people are, are having a hard time. And again, they want policy. They want to talk about policy, not the politics. I think we're tired uh, of the know, bullshit. Sitting in a meeting, um, it was about a few months ago. And there's a colleague of mine who had brought up that, you know, like we don't, we shouldn't talk to our constituents about policy. It's a lot of mumbo jumbo people want to like understand what's going, like, how are you going to help them? How are you going to help them? And I get the, the spirit of that argument because I was in that camp too. But it's our job to really connect the policy to the day-to-day life, right? Like that is our job. Florida is tired of Governor Ron DeSantis BS. Gov DeSantis bullshit. Right, like that is our job. And so for me, it's like not, no, we shouldn't run away from the policy. We should work at communicating it in a better way. And I think that is how we fill the gap. Because when I knock doors, people want to hear what the hell I'm doing, right? Like they want to know what policy I'm fighting for to help them with their everyday life. And so my job should be to connect those dots. And I feel like when we spend time on these, you know, crazy things Republicans are talking about, it, we're, we're not connecting the dots. And again, remember, like, policy versus politics. Like, we got to be in the business of connecting the policy to our people. And I feel like every second we're talking about some other stuff, we're just, uh, we're not winning. And so that, that's my personal thing. Though. That's what I believe. Uh, I don't know if it's the way to do it, but I think, yeah. I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, I think that... The voters of your state should know at the door that your Florida legislators voted to apply for Florida's allocation of the energy savings rebate from the federal government. And then DeSantis came along and vetoed it, saying it was too woke. His own Republican legislators were too woke, right? So then the Floridians, the people you're actually talking to at the door, aren't going to get any federal relief on their energy bills because their governor turned it down. I would want to know that. That's policy, but I would want to know that. I would want to know that Ron also turned down $350 million in climate funding before your most recent hurricane, when Florida is, as you've put it, a frontline state in the climate crisis, right? So uh, these are things that I think the people at the door want to know, even if they are policy. And to be clear, no matter what Republican candidates say on the debate stage, there is a climate crisis, right? So you need to be talking yeah. about that to people at the door, and you need to be talking about policy that might help them. And they're feeling it. They should be feeling it. It's everywhere, right? Your 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 ocean yeah. is this, like a bathtub. Naples is recording the highest temperatures ever. Like, you guys are ground zero for climate initiatives. Exactly. No, exactly. Or you should that's be anyway. Thing, it should you know. be something that's bringing you guys together to work against it. 